This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles. If you're into nerd culture, if you're into sports memorabilia, if you're into wrestling memorabilia, please visit firstroll.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20. You'll get 20% off. They got everything from comic books to old school wrestling figures, old school magazines, sports memorabilia that's signed by all the athletes you could think of. Best thing is they ship worldwide. Even better, they update daily. So please visit firstroll.ca. If you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like Shovel Knight, Postal, Resident Evil, and the soon-to-be-released, obviously, Golden Knight 007. So please visit them at BossFightBooks.com. If you're looking for the best supplements and CBD products, visit LegacySubs.com. Use promo code THEPODCAST to receive 10% off. They have everything from sleep aid to muscle building, anything you need or want. It is literally there. They are Legacy Sports Nutrition at LegacySubs.com. If you want to support me directly and monetarily, the best thing, the easiest thing is to scroll down on your device. It's embedded right there in the description. And click on that link. Takes you right to my merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to travel mugs to phone cases. Anything you need or want, it is literally there. But the easiest thing, the freest thing, the thing everyone should be doing each and every week, if you haven't done so already, is rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, most specifically Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So this week, I'm joined by two returning guests. But first off... She is a professor, an editor, a podcaster, and a writer of Super Mario Brothers 3 and the upcoming GoldenEye 007, Elise Snore. Having me, Steve. No, thanks for coming back again and really appreciate it. Your first book was fantastic. We are going to get into the second book, obviously. Another gem, in my opinion. But what has been up since the last time we spoke? Oh, man. I mean, my I went from having a baby to having a did i have a baby when i think she was just just she was just a little baby at the time yes now she's three and a half and that is completely wild so that's kind of what's keeping me busy (laughs) so what's the thing that you did not expect 
and I guess you can't say terrible threes because that that would be the twos. But what the didn't you? You say you terrible. You say three major. She's a three major, and so she's like. I think I just didn't expect how how like utterly hilarious it is. Like she just started. She just started like trying. She wants to get out of bed every night after Mm -hmm. we put her down. And, like, it started with the usual things, like, I want a glass of water, I want to go potty. And now it's just getting increasingly strange. Like, the other night she asked us for an octopus. What? And then she asked us, she was like, can I, I I can't sleep, moms, I need $9. And we're like, why do you need $9? That's hilarious. Oh, my goodness. I guess the joys of being a parent, the little things you don't expect, but pop up and, you know, make life interesting, right? Very, very nonstop hilarious. <laughs> okay, before we get into GoldenEye, obviously, we are also joined by another former guest and another writer who has written such books as Bible Adventures, The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, the founding editor of Boss Fight Books, whom, in my opinion, is the best publisher in the world, Gabe Durham. Whoa, we got it. Best publisher in the world. Yes, heard it. <laughs> What's been it's going been on, my friend? forever. What's going on? I do not have any babies or three-year-olds. My <laughs> girlfriend and I uh, merged our animal families, oh. and um, so we live in a in a bisected apartment with a door that always stays closed. My dog, she just doesn't get along very well with cats, so oh. she lives in the living room area, okay. and then the cats, which I think they would do do great with her and i think she would like them if they ever really got to get to know each other but sure. they live in the bedrooms area and never the two shall meet oh that's horrible oh, yeah. oh, that's heartbreaking now because i i love pets i have my, of my own obviously and to have them separate oh that's heartbreaking i i know it does sound like the, the but i'm just so relieved that we can all exist together <laughs> and or, or, or <laughs> like okay. that it that it works at all uh, it feels like a huge win. So, uh, yeah, I'm very happy. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Okay, before we get into anything, I'm going to drop a bombshell here. I never played GoldenEye 007. What? Whoa! In fact, I never owned a Nintendo 64 or really played any of that library to begin with. How about that? Okay, I'm going to take over the podcast. So, this is going to be me. <laughs> interviewing Elise and uh you know you can just sit and learn something it's hilarious because okay so what actually happened was the from the transition from Super Nintendo 1064 PlayStation was out obviously as you are both aware and I hopped on the PlayStation wagon and then I never looked back not because I disliked Nintendo or it was just something it's just at the time I couldn't afford it to so I hitched my wagon so to speak to Sony and I've never left ever since until the Wii came out so that gap between Super Nintendo and Wii I never touched anything from that Nintendo library and that includes handhelds too Wow. I mean, I think historically you win. And it, like, there were so many PlayStation games. There was. Hundreds and hundreds. Um, and 64, much smaller library, loved by those of us who went hard. And uh, I, I went hard. Um, way, way yeah. deeper into N64 library than PS1 for me. But, mm. you know, uh, I, yeah, I don't think <laughs> it made the same mark <laughs> that PlayStation did until, as you say, the week. And plus, I was already older at the time because I'm. Like, well, I'm already in my mid-40s pretty much, so I was an older teenager, almost pretty much an adult, so the transition, you know, 
I wasn't into the Nintendo friendly stuff. I guess maybe that's what it really was. It was either go with the kid friendly or go with the more mature. And obviously, everyone knows at that age, you want to be cool. You want to be with the mature stuff. So that's probably another thing. But obviously, I heard all the great things about it. Like, especially GoldenEye because... You know, it was one of those mature sort of games because it wasn't involving the Nintendo uh, library and their sort of characters and stuff. And it was obviously 007, who's cooler than James Bond at the time, right? So to me, I heard all the good stuff. So I was really intrigued to read this book. And again, from start to finish, hook, line, and sinker, you guys, I don't know how you always pull out these things, but I can't wait for it now, the next book, whatever else is down the line. (laughs) All right. Well, as uh, Elise gets into so much in the book, uh, the maturity of the game made Nintendo very nervous at the time. Exactly, right? And then the, the other thing, I was not really a first-person shooter type guy. Like, FPS, again, I wasn't into, you know, rigging PCs and playing with a mouse. So I didn't get into first-person shooters until maybe, like, the PS3 era when, like, something like Borderlands came around and then blew my mind. And then I just... I was like, oh my God, first-person shooters are actually good. Because, again, being younger, I played the Dooms, the Wolfensteins of the world. That didn't do much for me. I don't know. I was just not enthralled with it. And maybe that's another reason why I didn't play GoldenEye. But the two of you, have you been fans of GoldenEye, the game, per se? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's why I wanted to write a book about this game. And I, I just grew up playing it with my little brother and my um, my my college roommates and high school buddies. And, you know, I'm that classic millennial story of like, you know, I wasn't like a hardcore gamer, but you know, it was just in the air. Everybody was, everybody was playing GoldenEye. So I was one of those. So when, okay, who approached who about this project? At least did you go to Gabe or did Gabe, did you put this out there and be like, do one of my writers from before want to put this? How did it all come together? I went to Gabe because I had had such an amazing experience working with Gabe and Mike Williams on the Mario three book. There was no other boss fight author who had done more than one book. So I I thought the answer would probably be no, you know, we're not interested, but I, I put together a pitch for Gabe and I was like, you know, like I'm I'm really dying to write another one of these books. And like the story of GoldenEye is just kind of stuck in my head. And um, he was generous enough to accept We've also just been looking for opportunities to collaborate with Elise ever since we worked on her. I worked uh, with her on the Mario book. I think it's just one of those really cool working relationships where everybody clicks with each other. Um, and, you know, both of us click with Mike so well uh, as well. And so we would get her help um, editing other people's books sometimes. And okay. she made some really great contributions. Um, through the notes that she gave on, on drafts of some of the books. And so it did feel, and, and one of the things um, I, I did a little Q and a with at least recently where I brought this up, but she approached both, uh, both times she approached um, the pitch so professionally. And I really appreciated it the second time because we already knew each other pretty well by then. Right. And, you know, I think like the impulse for a lot of people is to just kind of show up and be like, Hey dude, we're buds now, so can I do another book? But right. instead, it was just—it was just so like, let me walk you through my vision of how cool this book would be. That's awesome, and that's kind of what you need, even if you know somebody really well, because just for them to show you everything that's cool about not just the game, but the story of the game and the kinds of things that it lets you talk about, um, like couch co-op and right. these, you know, kind of kind of a bygone era. Um, mm-hmm. 
And that uh, got us so excited by the time she was done kind of sharing her vision. We were like, I think we should just do it. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome to hear. So Elise, your previous book, Mario 3, as you brought up, was more of your experience with your family playing it together, whereas this book was more of the behind the scenes, the studios, the movies. Why why did you choose to go down this route instead of like your personal experience? I guess I'll give you three reasons. So the first is that I just didn't have as much to say personally about GoldenEye as I did about Mario 3. I mean, Mario 3 was like just this intense bonding with my dad when I was like four years old and coming to understand my my gender and sexuality through that game goldeneye mm-hmm. is just like hey let's like get drunk and eat doritos and play goldeneye you know which sure. there's not there's nothing wrong with that but there's just not as, as much depth there and secondly there just is such an amazing development story with goldeneye right just these these 10 guys who had never made a game making it finally making best games of all the time fascinating around this transition from couch-based multiplayer to online um from small studios to large massive industry expansions mm-hmm. this is the last time you can have a a triple a AAA title made by 10 guys right um it was it was last game before you know columbine um which kind of changes our perceptions of of ah, shooters i think right. and it had such an impact so so yeah like the story of this game and its development was so fascinating that i I really wanted to tell it, and pieces of it had been told already in lots of places on the internet. Sure. I mean, the guys talk about this game a lot. Talks at festivals, they write stuff on Twitter, um, they've mm-hmm. given interviews, and, and you mostly hear about the history of GoldenEye through these little, like, listicles, like, ten things you never knew about GoldenEye. Mm. And that just, I'm kind of a completionist, and I wanted to <laughs> gather together everything and tell it in a linear story with scenes and characters um, and get original new interviews. All the guys were kind enough to speak with me. Um, And so that's the third reason is that um, Nintendo being so incredibly secretive, no one would really, the only folks for Mario 3 that would talk whereas for GoldenEye, all of them wanted to talk to me. So that just makes it a much more development focused story too. Yeah, and I'm going to bounce a lot throughout the book because, again, there's so many things that went on in this book. Well, first off, before we get into anything, are both of you guys 007 fans? I'm one of those where I the first interaction I meaningfully had with James Bond was this game. And I, I hadn't really seen the movie until I was like... I don't know, in my, like in my 30s. I, I just never... I, thought, I felt like I already knew the whole movie from the game. Okay. So... No, I, I remember kind of watching some with grandfather growing up. He had something he always liked to say after the big opening action sequence. Sure. My grandfather, every time, would like turn to me and very calmly say, it could happen. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and that was the only, like, I just thought that was hilarious. But, you know, it, yeah, I, I, I can't say I was ever a huge fan. I'm, I'm maybe more of a Tom Cruise mission impossible. Yes. Yeah, I'm the same way too. And I and I was going to bring that up because the parallel was the one game I did play on N64 was Mission Impossible. And I love that game to death. Maybe because I don't it wasn't first person, was it? It was third person. It was third person. Maybe that's why and I think that's what put me over the hump instead of playing GoldenEye because those four first two missions of the stealthiness, like you never played that 
in the 16-bit era. Like, that was, oh my god, it just blew my mind. And then obviously Metal Gear came out after with Metal Gear Solid and stuff. And that whole genre of the espionage stuff, just, I don't know. But the first person just, it, it didn't tickle me. I don't know why. Mm, yeah. Um, I uh, came to bond through GoldenEye. And um, so that was definitely the first one that I saw that in was me the theater because yeah. it hit my age yep. just perfectly. So, you know, Brosman, it, Brosnan is my bond. Um, and yeah. so that, that con- yep. campy 90s style is <laughs> kind of like the default bond. And then from there, <laughs> this is, this is uh, going to age me. I would go to the library and check out VHS tapes. So uh, that's how I caught up on all the older Bond movies throughout high school was I was just like, show up and and check some out. And um, (laughs) at this point, though, I mean, I I do. My number one is Casino Royale. Really? Really? Oh, yeah. I love it. Okay. Okay. It's not a bad one, but I still think Golden Knight. No, no. What was the second one? Same director as Golden Knight. What was the second Uh, one that Brosnan did? I think that one was my favorite. Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. That's it. Yes, I think that one was my favorite for some reason. But uh, I'm the same thing with you, Gabe. Goldeneye brought me in. But unlike you, I didn't go back. I still haven't watched anything prior to Goldeneye, but I've watched every single Bond after Goldeneye. Gotcha. You know what I watched, what I really loved from this era as a kid was Austin Powers. Yep, same here. Absolutely. One of the entire Bond franchise, but specifically the first movie, which shot for shot makes fun of Goldeneye in particular. And so rewatching that while I was writing the book was such a treat. Oh my God. So yeah, this book, again, amazing from top to bottom. Not only is it, again, about the game, it's about Rare, it's about Nintendo, it's about the movies. Like, just like you said, 10 guys putting this game together like think about that nowadays because this game is considered an everyone's top 50 list maybe even everyone's top 25 list if you want to narrow it down that much so for 10 men and again never having most of them not having any experience all slapping this all together and then on top of it movie licenses nintendo as you mentioned because everyone knows how nintendo is putting out games like they sift through everything and then being two years late almost being not putting it out there and scrapping the whole project oh my god like you couldn't have picked a better source of material, at least. It's true. There was so much to talk about. And again, you did such a fantastic job in tying it all together with a nice bow tie. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, it's in, in some way, it, it writes itself just with all the right? drama and the story. A, a lot of my work as a storyteller was just in, first of all, really trying to get a handle on chronology because I, I thought mm. it was really important to tell it in linear order so yeah. we could get a sense of those moments of, of crisis and, and joy. But also writing scenes and like really sketching out the personalities of the characters and how they related to each other and how they loved on each other. And um, that was really fun because you can kind of, you know, glean through conversation little little moments that stick out in their memories. And those then become, you know, central points for the book because I, I just love like picturing it like I, I, I'm very much like. Okay, yeah, I hear you. You were doing that, but like, what were you eating for lunch every day sure. in the cafeteria? And <laughs> yes. like, what was everyone? What, what, what kind of were you driving to work? And like, how long was your commute? I don't know why, but I just live for those like little um, living details that just bring it more to life. Yeah, and yeah, I no kidding. So much. And and you do again a fantastic job. And to me, Rare was one of those uh, again growing up Super Nintendo era. 
Donkey Kong Country, that was like almost everyone's favorite Super Nintendo game. And to me, that's what made me open my eyes to Rare. And ever since then, it was always like, okay, I got to see what they're up to, yeah. what they're doing. And that's why, again, I don't know why Gold... Maybe I didn't even realize that Rare put out GoldenEye. Because again, you wouldn't think that Rare would do something like that or even get that license. But one of the things you bring it up in the book, Elise, well, is, when, is when Hollis says the realism isn't fun and then goes on to explain why and all that stuff. And I totally agree because... You can have a little sort of realism, but when you put too much in it, it's true. You're escaping reality yeah. to play something. Like for me, right. that was right. the downfall of Red Dead Redemption 2. They made it too damn real and it totally threw me off. Yeah. I mean, they want they want it to be realistic enough that you feel first like, wow, I can I can write my name on the bullet holes because there are bullet holes and, and there's tracer fire and, right. and smoke from explosions. Like all of those things feel quote unquote realistic. Shooting a chair and having it explode <laughs> is not realistic, but it is so much fun, right? right? And so they just like had this great balance, and I think that yeah. that also helped kind of offset some of the like that goofiness have helped offset some of the the violence. And right? and what you said about it, like not realizing it was a rare game is actually one of the biggest mysteries that that I found in the writing was that. Mm. I don't know why, but there's just some weirdness with Rare and Goldeneye today, and I I really I don't know what's going on. I mean, they didn't include it in their in their replay collection, mm-hmm. and they they had finished that beautifully remastered version for the Xbox Live Arcade, and obviously, you know, it was licensing issues between MGM and Microsoft and Nintendo and Rare that that sure. caused the the release not to happen. But when asked about it, when asked directly, did you not include, you know, Goldeneye in the in the re- Rare Replay collection because of licensing? They denied it. They were like, no, we just don't really think it's one of our best games. Oh, come on. <laughs> and when you go to their website, like, you know, it's all, it's all Conker and, you know, like, it, it's just all like, their original characters sure. and things like that. And they're... They're, they're, they do not really highlight Goldeneye very much. It's like they're embarrassed. It's a lie. They're lying. It has to be. There's yeah. something going on behind the scenes that there's some embargo or something where they can't talk about it. There it has, has to be, right? It makes no sense. I'm, I respect the impulse to stand behind the games that they can stand behind, but there's a way to do it without <laughs> yeah. just letting everybody know that you're full of shit. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Well, yeah. I mean, the whole rare, like this, the whole like story of, of rare was also like a real like exciting thing to track in the book like how they developed and how they really flourished during the nintendo years and then kind of ran into some challenges in the microsoft years and i think simon parkin has done some really amazing reporting on that and um martin hollis in one of those articles said like it was a failed marriage from the start you know the bride was beautiful and the groom was rich and (laughs) so there's like some great drama there too wow yeah yeah, look at that. And yeah, and even from the beginning, the, like the different paths the game was supposed to like, I think you mentioned it too, it's supposed to be like a side-scrolling, then it's supposed to be rail shooter, and then obviously it morphed into what it was today. Can you imagine if it never did come out as an FPS, would there even be a genre? Would there be Modern Warfare? I know a lot of pundits say no, but, you know, but I think maybe so, but it would have taken a longer and it wouldn't be the way it is today, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think it would it would not have leapt forward as quickly because there were right. some things that Goldeneye did where after that people were like, oh, well, that's really fun. So <laughs> let's include that. Today. Yeah, I mean, the timing was first person shooters were just a just a PC genre. And so for people like me who were just kids who had consoles and didn't do any PC yeah, gaming, it too. introduced the, the first person shooter genre to, to that whole wider audience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it... 
like in the in the book, I'm like, without Goldeneye, there would be no Halo or no no Call of Duty, and like I stand by that. Goldeneye is like the the grandfather of all those genres. I do think that it would have happened eventually on consoles and would have flourished. It would have been a different game, and for that reason, you know, the, Goldeneye established a lot of the conventions. Things like a, a heads up display, um, you know, objectives, uh, you know, a health a health bar, all of those things were were from Goldeneye and, and really influenced the genre. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it, it is kind of exciting to think about the game that, I, I mean, I, I can't prove that Goldeneye created the term first person shooter, but right. it, it, in 1998, the year after the game came out, that's when you see a big spike in the Disney amount of people using that phrase, that, that title. Yeah. And again, for someone like me, who's never played the game, like who, again, I'm probably the only one who is a actually gamer who hasn't played this game, but if you have never played it, still read this book. Cause you get into the insides and you get to see how some of today's games are made because of this game. Like it's not only the first person stuff, like you said, the heads up display, like everything multiplayer deathmatch. like who knows what online gaming would be like if it wasn't for this yeah. first couch co-op, so to speak, because that wasn't even a term back then either. Cause it was just co-op, I guess, or, or multiplayer, but yeah. And, and like you, at least I'm the same way. I can't play online anymore. It, it's one because of obviously everyone's attitude and the way it's so, I don't know, it's it's a toxic environment. And B, because of all the cheaters and all the modders out there, I just can't do it. So couch co-op yeah. is the best thing ever. Like, well, mind you, I, actually, I'm lying. The only thing I do play online is Fall Guys. That's the only game I could probably get away with. Because yeah. it still feels like I'm accomplishing something. Because even if you're a bad player, you can still get to the second or third round because there's a lot more worse <laughs> than you are. So you feel a sense of accomplishment, right? But other than that, I don't play anything online. It's Everything is couch co-op. That's cool. Well, you're a rarity. Right? Yeah. I just, I just feel like I'm happy to, to, like, blow up my friends and shoot them in the face when I can, like, you know, elbow them or, like, slap them across the couch, and it's very silly. But sure. there's, there's something so, like, brutal about, about doing it remotely when I'm, like, alone in my room in the dark. <laughs> More power to people who like that, but like I just, I just can't get into it. I, I need like to be eating a pizza and like throwing pepperonis at you while I'm like, you know, wasting you. One conversation I've had with people because of Elise's book is I didn't realize that back in the day there was a lot of people creating house rules that you're not supposed to look yes. at the screens of the of your friends of uh, when you're playing against them, and I don't remember that, and I don't even think i believe that it's possible like there's always going to be a part of your eyes just kind of like drifting over to what they're doing yeah but you got to play it it's off you got to make it seem like you're <laughs> you're like lost like at least it's not straightforward and he still gives you uh, a chance because yeah I, I was the same I like see. even g- going back to like mortal Kombat and like those fighting games it would be the same thing if a guy was doing like so-called i'm putting up parentheses cheese then that's it. You're disqualified. Hand over the control. You can't do that. You're like, you know, what I mean? like repetitive moves, trapping someone like that was all against the law. Like, you know, but right. yeah, we made our own rules. It's crazy. I totally I, I thought that forgot about that. Yeah. I thought, I thought that like these were accidents, things like odd job. He's, he's too short. And so it's, <laughs> it's, it's like, it, it should, it's cheating to play as odd job. If you're playing multiplayer golden eye, but it turns out that Martin Hollis was, no, no, we we put those things in on purpose because we thought it was hilarious and we wanted people to be able to come up with their own social rules. My favorite social rule I had in my friend group was you don't shoot someone if they haven't had a time to pick up a gun yet. That's a and you one. don't like camp on spawning locations because it just makes it not very fun. But sure. um, then when you play with somebody who doesn't abide by that rule, oh. you're like, oh, what a monster. <laughs> Honor. 
it's so true. Again, another reason why I don't play online because I would be tossing my controller right up against the screen if I had to deal with people like that again. Uh, no, no, thank you. But uh, uh, like, what blew my mind too about this game again was when it first dropped, it wasn't really a fan favorite. It wasn't really well received. Like even when they made their first appearance at E3 in '97, no one really cared about this game. It was towards, I guess. The second cycle when it was re-released, I guess now as we call it Greatest Hits, whatever they called it back in the day. And then the multiplayer started getting, and again, word of mouth. Like Talk about perfect marketing, right? Totally. The word of mouth, publicity, it was just this slow-burning game that eventually became a cult classic, but... Um, there, there's, there's one guy who, who didn't work on the game, but he was, he was part of, um, Nintendo of America's like marketing and publicity. And, um, his name's Ken Lobb. He's the guy who the Quab gun is named after. Yep. Um, and I didn't get to speak with him, but he's really instrumental in the game turning out well. He convinced the higher ups to allow the multiplayer to be finished after yep. the guys, um, sort of secretly, um, started making it. <laughs> and he also, he made this really risky move with, um, rent and he he basically sent a copy of GoldenEye to every blockbuster in the country and said, if you don't want it anymore after 60 days, you can send it back. And so then... A game at Blockbuster for three years. Um, Even, you know topping those rental charts at number one all the way into like, you know, the next, the next, um, the next year. And so I think that helped a lot too, because people would rent it, play it and realize they needed their own copy. Yeah, this game made a ton of money. Like I didn't even realize it literally double grossed the movie itself. And back then, when this wasn't even a form of entertainment in like Hollywood's eyes, like, you know what I mean? Like how it is now. Now everyone wants to make a a movie based off a video game, right? But back then, and it's like, I hated the fact, and I always knew this, even as a kid and all this, I always told everyone, like, video games makes more money. Like, think about it, just like, even as a child, not knowing anything about economy or whatnot and economics, a video game costs $70. Back then, you go to a movie, it costs 10 to $15. Do the math. Look how many people are buying video games and going to the movies. How does not a video game make more than a movie? (laughs) Well, and I think uh, one of the things that, at least portrays really well in the book is that success really helped uh, uh, get some of those people out of rare because they're watching this game that they made make so much money and they're getting a piece of it, mm-hmm. but that, you know, they're seeing, but they're seeing the global impact of what they've done. And they're like, Oh, well we should be rich, right? Like <laughs> we've done this and it's doing this well, we should be rich. Exactly. And they get, and then instead they get like, a cool watch and a little bonus. So they're like, okay, well maybe we got to get out of here. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. And again, so many things that I learned about this book. Another one was I had no idea that like, I knew about the first, I guess, video game lull where it almost collapsed because of Atari and ET and all that debacle. But I never knew that the video game industry was at risk in 96. And then again, Nintendo comes and saves the day and then all these kids in college are playing and revives the video game scene and now it is what it is and I don't think there'll ever be a lull in video games now. This is going to stay here forever, pretty much. And again, Nintendo doing it as they always do. Like, I, 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 Hats off to them. I, everyone bitches and complains. Like To me, because I'm a huge wrestling fan, it's sort of like how people bitch about WWE, how they don't do it right. But every once in a while, they do something and save the industry and then all of a sudden, like, you know, and that's like Nintendo. Like, Man, they always do it somehow. <laughs> the ups and downs of that company, it winds up making them just look so 
confident because they do, it's not always a hit. You know, like N64 did not do as well as they wanted it to. Right. And GameCube really oh. didn't do as well as they wanted it to. Yeah. And then Wii comes out and it's just a huge smash hit. Everybody gets it. Yeah. Um, everybody's like parents and grandparents get it. It opens <laughs> up a huge new market. Tons of games. And then, you know, you see that thing again with, with Wii U where it's like, it just doesn't land. They have all these great games, uh, yeah. but it's not the right vessel for them. And then Switch comes out, and uh, the, some of the very biggest games on Switch are just Wii U games. That right? They, like, added a little bit of stuff to <laughs> But it's like, this game that none of you played six years ago, now you're all loving it. And they just like, and they're, and they're like, we told you. Yeah, I think that they... Like they they say that the the company culture is you know like in the name Nintendo leave luck to heaven and so they they don't take the hits you know but they also don't take the highs when when they when they're doing mm. really well they're all like you know settle down don't like this, sure. this isn't this isn't guaranteed like we, you know <laughs> we have to keep working hard because it's never guaranteed and for me to to write like it, it was a really interesting juxtaposition for me writing super mario 3 is, is telling the story of nintendo when it was at its absolute peak global right. you know domination um to the point where because of a lot of xenophobia and incredible nintendo sales all the newspaper articles are like nintendo's taking over our youth and and, and you know seven out of eight boys have a nintendo what are we gonna do oh and there's just no competition there's none i mean right like it's before the console wars with Sega. So to compare that to the GoldenEye moment when Nintendo's having a rough time, they tried something weird with the N64. They took some risks, and where the industry was at, it, it really, in terms of sales, flopped. In terms of quality of games made for the N64, that's a different story. But yeah, it's a really weird moment in their history. And I, yeah, I hated the GameCube so much. So it's, oh, it's wow. just fun to look at like how we went down that road to the GameCube. Mm, wow. Yeah, it's crazy how Nintendo always re rebounds some way or another. But even, again, being my age group, it's hard reading this book because it makes me feel really old. Because one, one fact that just blew my mind was that you could fit something like 5,333 golden eyes into one sixty-four gig phone. How crazy is that? That's what they worked with back in the day. Oh, yeah. It's, it's insane. The number of workarounds that they have to develop, right? the amount of compression for their music files and sound effects. Like it's, it's just it's, funny how you have more creativity when you have more restrictions. I know it sucks, and today's generation and whatever you want to call it, the snowflakes of the world or whoever, they don't want deadlines. They want to you know come in when you want. I'll finish when I'm ready. Like, like no pressure really that they don't want. But in my opinion, every once in a while, pressure makes diamonds that was another big, you know, difference between the Mario book and this book is that when you when you talk about like the, the sort of Japanese aesthetic and and minimalism and like those guys, at least what they say is that they got such a huge kick out of having to do all that compression and you know mm. the, in, in Super Mario clouds are the same texture graphic as as the bushes and they're they're doing everything they can to save space the golden eye guys you know it's hilarious to hear like brett jones the um the character designer talk about like the the boobs on xenia and um natalia are so pointy <laughs> because 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 he just didn't have a good budget for polygons for right. how many polygons he got for the, <laughs> for the breasts so you know they're, they're they're funny about it but like a lot of them are still pretty embarrassed and horrified by like the frame rates um, and I, you know, like I, I, I would, I would just be like, I, I think that's part of the hilarity 
is when you're playing each other up so much that the game like lags like it's just kind of funny um and i think it's all part of the charm but yeah they, they're not as they're not as like psyched about all of that work that was done to just it's really tedious like just compressing and compressing all of those textures and and trying to figure out how to make everything fit they the, um, the, the composers talk about like um, th- if you wanted a cymbal crash and you wanted to go like right. that takes up too much space. So what they would do is like stitch together to be like one cymbal crash. So they were just doing like insane things to try to make it all fit. Oh my god! Yeah, it is so crazy. And then even the stuff that wasn't available to us, the players, they won. Like the Easter eggs and the secrets, they still managed to cram in there. Like Elise, when you yeah. were doing your research, what was one of the Easter eggs and secrets that you had no idea about after playing the game after so many years? I think my favorite one—it's less an Easter egg and more an inside joke, okay. um, which is that you know they they had to give all the guns in the game fake names at the last minute because they oh. they didn't have like a license to use the gun names. Right. right. Um, and so one of the, like original new golden eye facts that I uncovered in an interview with David Doak that, that I hadn't found anywhere else where they, they mentioned this is that the, this big clunky pistol called um, the DD eight Dostovi. Um, I think that's what it's called, but it's, it's like a DD Dostovi okay. is um, they named it after, you know, they're all like guys in their early twenties and <laughs> they're just being naughty. And they named it after like double, double D bra size. Sure. Of course. <laughs> All the best anecdotes in the book are about the I, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I have to like, give my feminist card back or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing everyone knew, and then it's, especially back then. Nowadays, it's, it's, a, it's getting better because of, again, the production status and everything. But every video game that had a movie tie-in, sucked i'm sorry like you could not get me to play one mind you maybe the early disney games were okay like aladdin comes to mind lion king they they even to today's standards i think they used to hold up but after everything after that was like downhills all a cash grab right exactly and i like i was trying i was gonna ask you guys what are your some of your favorite movie-based video games because i could barely think of any off the top of my head Right? I remember liking the, the Ninja Turtles, um, one of the Ninja Turtle games, the one where you could like switch off who you were playing as. That was pretty fun. Yeah, they're, but it, they're more likely to be like ET, right? They're more likely to be like industry killing bad level quality. Well, that's the thing, because uh, oh, actually, I thought of one. I don't know why it just popped to me. Even though, again, maybe because of Goldeneye, because Goldeneye came out two years after the movie did. Something like The Matrix when it came out for the PS2. That was a half decent rendition of the movie. If you were into the Matrix universe, mm, mm-hmm. I uh, I went down a rabbit hole uh, oh. last week um, looking into. Uh, do you remember the game Global, Global Gladiators for the Sega Genesis? This was a McDonald's licensed game, okay. and it was starring um, <laughs> Mick and Mac, the famous um, MC Kids, who are yes. also in a uh, Nintendo game. One of my favorite and, games of all time. It's such a ridiculous mashup of okay. some really good and some really bad things. Okay. Um, the, the guy who made it is the guy who went on to make the um, Sega Genesis Aladdin and then also Earthworm Jim. And so there's these like awesome animations in it. There's these okay. like goop creatures that look so good. 
but then also like the levels are really monotonous and the theme of the game is such like 90s corporate hypocrisy <laughs> like it's all about environmentalism it's all about recycling and like doing right by the earth by the company that is just ravaging the earth wow. like unchecked at the time <laughs> with way less like public accountability than they at least have now so it was such a wild funny time um and like I don't know. I, I, I at least re- recommend checking it out. I mean, it's a it's a fascinating artifact. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I will check it out after this. Because yeah, I, I never knew there was a follow up to MC Kits. Because yeah, like I, that was one of my favorite NES cartridges at the time. I think they were maybe developed even concurrently and just by different teams. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Well, I'm going to throw out some more facts that I got through this book because again, this book is yes. riddled with facts and just crazy, like. Rare was the first Western third-party developer for Nintendo. That blew my mind. I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, they they just kind of, like, forced it, which is really cool and, and wild is that they, you know, they they were at, they asked Nintendo, like, can we have the, the details on, on the NES? And Nintendo was like, no. So the Stamper Brothers basically reverse-engineered it made a game, um, showed up at Nintendo corporate headquarters and showed them the game. And they, and Nintendo was like, holy shit, that's, that's great. Like we want it, we want to buy it. And we want to give you the rights to, um, make a bunch more stuff for us. And then, you know, the relationship was so good. They were making so much stuff that that's when Nintendo kind of granted them the opportunity to make the, their, you know, in Donkey Kong country. So they gave them this important character from the Nintendo canon and, yeah. um, you know, I really, I think got Nintendo rare, really got Nintendo through, like you said earlier, Steve, like got them through some tough times when they, they just, obviously Mario Kart and Super Mario 64 did, did really well on man 64, sure. but at E3, it was a rare booth instead of an, all of their biggest hits, Banjo Kazooie, all of them were rare. Yeah, no kidding. And it's so crazy how Donkey Kong, like, I had no idea, too. Eight million copies sold, the best-selling Super Nintendo game that was not bundled with the system. Like, I knew it was a good game, but I didn't think it was up there with that. Eight million. And then, on top of that, imagine all the renditions and redrops and re-releases on virtual consoles. I know Game Boy Advance had a version of it as well. Like, I'm sure it just tops over 10 million, if not 15 million. Oh, just, uh, if you look at the most beloved games of the 64 era too it's like yeah you, you people talk a lot about um banjo kazooie in the sequel they talk about donkey kong 64 um i've got a real soft spot for blast core um the Ooh. demolition yeah. game and um and then you know conquer's got its fans as well sure. and uh so it it really seems to dominate our cultural memory of that time too and and when you play through uh rare retro um which I, I recommend. It's you know even without Golden Knight, it's still pretty fun. And that uh, HD version of Perfect Dark is really cool. Um, it, you could really just it feels like you're playing through a, a huge part of that era. Yeah, and everything was there was just something like you always knew. Again, maybe I, I can attest to Golden Knight because I never played it. But every rare game I played, I knew I was playing a rare game. There's just something that they add that polish that touch the, the the comedic factor like in all their games like don't even get me started on conquer that's the whole reason why i loved it because like, i had a potty mouth like you know what i mean so it was cool to see like a mascot be not corporate if that made sense totally 
I think there's some, I would call it like some kind of earnestness that, you know, even when they're being like cheeky and having this really silly sense of humor, that feels really genuine. Like you have these 10 guys, none of whom have ever even touched a gun in their life. Um, just looking at pictures of gun, golden eye, and they just want to make something that people can have fun with their friends with. And that's how most of them talk about it now is they, they look back and they, you know, some of them got kind of teary talking to me about how much it meant to them to make something that has mattered to, to friends and siblings and, right. you know, the that's game so got cool. people through hard times in their life or yeah. while their parents were getting divorced, they'd go and like shoot a bunch of Russian soldiers and have <laughs> catharsis. And, you know, so, so that earnestness around like just loving play and, and, and wanting beautiful and um, meaningful, like I, I feel it in the game, the rare games that, that I play. And that goes for a lot of video games. And this is what I hate when you hear, well, again, going back when video games start, started being so-called violent, how they were saying, oh, they're repeating, there's all these shootings because of video games. There's all this because of Grand Theft Auto. Oh my God, that's why we have so much crime now. And it's like, if you had the inkless idea of how much it saved people's lives, how it pulled away from horrors, how it actually kept people going onto the streets and causing more crime. Like, you know what I mean? Like, me, myself, I'm included. Like, my, my childhood wasn't the greatest. And if it wasn't for video games, God knows where I would be today. Like, half of the shit I've learned in life is because of video games. You think I know geography and actual all the sports rules if it wasn't for video games? Like, come on. It's such a complex yeah. relationship. Um, and and it ultimately, like, you really can't pull these things apart. Like, like do an A-B test of uh, Steve's life if he didn't have video games and Steve's <laughs> life because he does have them. Or, right. you know, and I think that's just true of all of us. And, you know, when we talk about playfulness, I think that's, like, one of the things that just feels so charming about GoldenEye and, and uh, you know, a, a lot of other shooters of the time, but not all of them and it feels like some games live in a loony escapist world <laughs> and you can picture pierce brosnan you know in, in the trailer going no 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 <laughs> um and, and like it's it's so loopy uh versus you know that like that really intense relationship with realism and fidelity right. and uh I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't want to say that I don't sometimes see just straight up like glorification of what looks like real world violence, but a lot of the time it's something a lot more complicated. Yeah. No kidding. Okay. Some quick Bond facts. The Bond franchise is the yes. longest running series in movie history and the third highest grossing film series. That is crazy alone. Like I knew it was up there just because I had no of. Idea. Well, I sort of had, if someone was, again, uh, no pun intended, if someone had a gun pointed to my head, I'd be like, maybe top five, but just because of the sheer volume that they put out. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it sort of makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, let's see, or two and three be Harry Potter and MCU? I don't or think MCU like, counts, though. Because, oh, it's not, right? it's not a series in that same Yeah. Way. Okay, gotcha. So yeah. Harry Potter should be up there, I would think. But what would be Jurassic Park? I'll I throw think that one in. Oh, might be up oh there okay. Yeah. I believe it. Okay, another one. Brosnan wanted to play Bond back in 86. Can you imagine? Yes. <laughs> Baby Bond. Oh, it's so weird. <laughs> yep. But he had to do Steel. Yep. Of course. That was a hit. <laughs> 
But again, watching Remington, you see right there, there's Bond. It's a no-brainer, and they went with it. And it was, again, maybe because it's our era Bond. Maybe that's why I'm a bit more keen to him. But yeah, and then finally, I never knew they made an actual reimagining or remake of GoldenEye. And Activision took head. And then even before that, EA had the license and obviously wrote it to the ground. But I had no idea more Bond games, except for I think... What was it? Quantum of Solace came out on the Xbox or something. Other than that, I don't think there was anything in between until I read the book. I had no idea. Mm, there have been a bunch of them. They just don't get a lot of love. Right? And probably correctly. <laughs> it's a big, big shoes to fill. Big, big shout out. Of, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a curse. <laughs> have either of you gone back and played it since? On like the original version from the N64? Absolutely. And it still holds oh, up yeah. to this day. So someone yeah, like me who's I'm, never played, I could hop in and still have a good time? Or is it going to be I hard? Mean, I'm not the, saying that. I'm not... <laughs> uh, the hardest <laughs> time you'll have will be with the controls, which do kind of suck compared to what we... The, the, the yeah. you know, dual stick um, methods that we have now. Okay. Just, uh, yeah, the N64 controller doesn't quite hang. Okay, how about this? Have I you... think that... Sorry, go ahead, Elise. Yeah, I... I do think like when I was when I was replaying it to write the book, uh-huh. I, I was just like, this is so hard. And is it hard because I have to do everything and use my and, and I only have one analog stick. And it's actually just a, it's a very hard game. Yes. And um, I think that I enjoyed playing it again for for nostalgia's sake. Um, and, it, and it was very fun. Um, I do think like. The, the ratio of, like, replayability in 2022 against nostalgia, I think, for GoldenEye, at least for me, is a little more skewed toward nostalgia okay. um, than it is for with Mario 3. Um, but oh. if they are able to get those quality of life improvements in there, if we, you know, could e- even if we were just playing that, like, Xbox 360 version that didn't come out, but, you know, there's rumblings of what if they do an even more souped-up version uh, I I think that people would still have a lot of fun. I would hope so. Okay, how about this? Have you guys played the remake of uh, Mario 64 on the Switch? No. Okay, because, again, not owning an N64, I never played it, so I'm like, I got to play this. This is the only pretty much major Mario game I've never played in my life, I got to go play it. And then obviously I played Sunshine and every. That's why I got the whole bundled collection, right? It was fantastic. Oh, the three pack. Yeah. So I finally got to play every single Mario from literally the first one to whatever last one came out, Mario Land or whatever it is. And Mario 64 is the only Mario game I have not been able to finish from start to end because as you mentioned it, the stupid controllers, the control aspect to it. I could not clear Bowser. It was always because it did not do what I wanted it to do. Oh, like swinging him around? Yes, and then jumping wow. backwards, like all that. It just, it was not good. <laughs> I, I, I hate to say hate. Again, I know that's redundant as well, but this game is garbage. It's the worst Mario game I have ever played in my oh, life. Oh, no. <laughs> Again, no nostalgia factor attached to it, right? So I know. Oh, wow, I, wow, I, wow. Those are fighting words. Well, as a pure technical game, it. I'm sorry, it sucks. <laughs> I, for some reason, that game just, like, I I am very, very, very good at that game. And, like, okay. I, I think it's because it's third person, so you don't. For me, like, what's hard about GoldenEye is moving the character and aiming at the same time. Oh, right. In order to aim. Um, whereas Mario, 
Mario feels so smooth to me, Mario 64, like the way he moves in space and uh, oh, the way he does do all kinds of different jumps. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's... I just, I, it took me so long to get the hang of it. Like, and again, it, to me, I just found it as a chore towards the end because it's like now I'm just doing it to finish it so I could have that feather in my cap, but I, I just couldn't do it. So much of what you're the button pressing in that game is camera management, and that's, that's something I got so used to playing Mario 64, mm. but going back would feel so strange, I imagine. I'm telling you, if you guys have a chance, go pick it up and play Mario 64 again. You're going to agree. There's something about it. Just it, it doesn't hold up. It's one of those games. Uh, you know what I find too? Anything 3D that has nostalgia factor, like the first 3D and the polygon and all that that era, doesn't hold up mm-hmm. compared to like the 16 and 8 bit era. Like you know what I mean? There's just some games I could always go back. Like for example, um, uh, a link to the past. I could play that game over and over and over again. Donkey Kong Country. I could play over and over again. I don't really notice like anything wrong with it. But make me go yeah. play something from the PS1 era no i'm no way man i can't it's the awkward teenage years i mean yeah truly i think like in that 16-bit era you got the refinement of all these genres that are just perfect for what they are you know including like the um 2d rpgs and these platformers are so gorgeous and they've had time to refine them and then 3d comes in and it's very new it's very exciting but it sucks for a while I'm scared of getting the Grand Theft Auto trilogy because that's the same thing. It's like there's so much nostalgia tied to it. But I know, like you said, the quality of life improvements are not really in it, even though they say they are. But no, it's not. Like, yeah, I understand you put the green line on the map. So now I know exactly where to go on the GPS. But other than that, like the guns, like, again, the shooting aspect of it, everything's so shaky. It's not... Like one to one, like how it is. Ah, I can't. Anyways, well, sometimes what people say to me about boss fight books about a particular game is like, at this point, I'd rather re- I'd rather read about the game than play it again. I like it. You know what? And I've done it with Goldeneye because if you say I can't go back and play it, I'm good. I've read the book. I know what it has to offer. And again, I heard what all the like the joyful memories everyone has from it. So yeah, it is etched in the echelon of video game history for sure. But if they release a new version, you still got to give it a try. Well, yeah, of course I will. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm not dumb, no, for sure. Good, good. For sure. Okay, so I usually end the show with the worst story of the week. But because we're talking about Bond, we're talking about GoldenEye, how about we do, I'll give you guys five trivia questions. I'll do multiple choice to make it easier. So we'll do five Bond trivia-based questions, but only on the GoldenEye movie. No game, just the movie. So we'll see how good you guys are. I don't, you know. Okay. They're not too hard. They're not too hard. Ready. All right. Okay. So. Ready. Okay. Question number one. How does 007 infiltrate the Archangel Chemical Weapons Facility? Is it A, by hang glider, B, by jetpack, C, by wingsuit, or D, by bungee jump? Okay. I uh, feel like, well, I want to say D. I, I was also going to say D. It is D. You are correct. Okay. Good, good, good. <laughs> What's funny is doubting my own memories because of the game. Right, right. Who sings the theme song for GoldenEye? Oh, no. Is it A, Tina Turner, B, Bono, C, Bjork, or D, Madonna? I'm going A, Tina Turner. A. A, no. It is A. It's Tina Turner. All right. Yeah, Madonna was Die Another Day. I don't know if Bono's gotten his chance. 
I know, right? I don't think so. I think, or or even Bjork. I think they just threw those in or there. Bjork, Bjork, Bjork might have turned him down. <laughs> no, no, not weird enough. <laughs> All right. Question number three. How does Onatop, again, nice sexist name, how does Onatop assassinate the Canadian Naval Admiral? Oh, I think I can do this without. Is it A? I can do this one without you. Oh, go for it. What is it then? I, th- I think it's death by sex. Yeah, she's, she like, she suffocates him with her, with her thighs. Yep, it's suffocating. She crushes his chest oh, okay, between yeah. her thighs. <laughs> <That's more specific. laughs> oh, my goodness. Alrighty. Okay. Number four. Classic. What kind of weapon is Goldeneye? Do you need a multiple choice? It's a satellite. Is it? Oh, is it the saddle, or is it like the the rock rocket uh, <laughs> um, it's the missile? Missile. Okay, it's a, it's the okay, it's a well, satellite. It's an EMP it's sort of satellite. Oh, okay. All right, and lastly, what does M call Bond? A misogynist dinosaur. <laughs> You got it. You did do your All research. Right. Look at that. I wouldn't have gotten that. I don't think I would have gotten any of those if I knew the answers, to tell you the truth. Is, yeah, you know, you just, you, we're just, you're just showing up. You want to watch Judy Dench just eviscerate the symbol of misogyny, you know? Is Judy Dench the uh, actor who has appeared in the most Bond movies, do we think? Oh, I wonder. I could be. Anyway, that's 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 for another. <laughs> that's another trivia question. That's another trivia question. Just a pitch for the future. Desmond Llewellyn. Oh, okay. I don't know who he played, but oh, Q. Yeah, he was. Oh, Q across. the original. Oh, okay, across multiple bonds. Yeah, from 1963 all the way up through 1999. Wow, good wow. for him. That's a sweet gig. Right? Oh, yep. I don't need I don't need to be like a real actor, but I would love to have like a character bit among a like multi-decade spanning very popular thing that pays me well. MCU, there's still hope, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? The weapons expert. Here comes Gabe. <laughs> Are you working out, Gabe? You need to I don't think my abs are ready. Even to be just the nerdy weapons expert, they're like, yeah, but like we've got a baseline here. (laughs) Oh my god. Okay, before we all plug our stuff and get out of here, quickly, what are you guys playing nowadays? What am I playing? I'm just eagerly waiting for the new um, Bethesda game that's gonna come out this December. That's what I'm I'm not even playing anything. I'm just reading up about this, like this, this, this like Skyrim in space game. You know. Yeah. Uh, Star. Starlink. Starfield. 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 Yes. Yeah. Um, I have been playing Escape Academy, um, which Ooh, popped okay. up on Xbox Game Pass. It's a really fun escape room game, um, based in a like fictional school that is all about escaping. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just got really good puzzles and it's not that long. It's like the, you know, perfect, like eight hour or whatever it was game. And, uh, yeah, loved it. 
That's awesome. Awesome. All right. Thank you for once again bestowing your intelligence, your everything onto the show. Really appreciate it. It's been a blast. Always love talking video games. Always love talking literature. Now's the time to shine. Plug your guys' stuff wherever people want to find you, whatever you need or want. Floor is all yours. Um, I'm on elisenor.com and Twitter, elisenor, but I never tweet, so I probably shouldn't even plug that. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you want to read, I, I also write you know, poetry, fiction, literary work, so you can find all of my work on elisenor.com. Um, you can follow Boss Fight Books on Twitter at Boss Fight Books. Um, you can go to our website slash web store, which is bossfightbooks.com. Um, so Elise's book is the 29th in the series, and each one tackles a different um, single video game um, from a non nonfiction uh, historical critical perspective, um, usually a different author every time. Um, and... Yeah, I yeah you can follow me at Gabe Durham on Twitter. Um, and <laughs> this year, um, I'm telling uh, absurd stories on TikTok. So uh, nice. if that sounds interesting to you, you can follow me at Doctor Boring. D R Boring. <laughs> and for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the Podcast Dap. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at thepodcastdap at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors. And yes, Boss Fight Books is one of them. So please go buy their whole collection. I believe you are having a sale where you could pick every single Boss Fight Books up on ebook or paperback format. Is that correct, Gabe? Uh, we, uh, let's see, we've got one going right now, um, for people who participated in the Kickstarter. Okay. That, that's um, what it but is. we will, we'll have another thing coming up soon. So yeah, definitely it, it, hop on our mailing list, uh, oh, if better. you haven't, and we'll, we'll send you uh, lots of good discount codes and that kind of thing. Nice. One last question before I let you guys go more towards Gabe, but I don't know if you know anything at least, so maybe you could help too. If you don't want to reveal, that's fine. But any clues or any inkling on what's after GoldenEye 007? Well, uh, we have five more books that we are preparing to announce this fall as part of another Kickstarter campaign. So this is going to be the Season 6 Boss Fight Books Kickstarter. We'll announce uh, all the titles through that and then um, give everybody a chance to either pick some that you want a la carte or even better would be to subscribe to all of them. Um, So we'll be announcing that um, possibly um, in like early October, I believe. Um, But again, follow us on all the stuff and um, so that you can be there when we uh, drop all the new books. There you go. And yes, please go listen to older episodes too with all kinds of Boss Fight Books authors. I've had a ton of them on from top to bottom. You name it, you'll find something you'll like. And I'm sure if you like the episode, you'll love the book even more. So please support everyone. Let's all do this together. Get us up there. You know, get us trending as they say. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, Steve, on on a personal note, so I I love every time you do an episode with our authors. And so I had at some point wanted to do like a boss fight and interview podcast. I never did it, but, but ever since you started doing, it, I was like, well, Steve's on it. He's interviewing everybody. Yeah. So it's great. That's all we need. <laughs> there you so go. Really, there we really go. really appreciate you, man. No, likewise, likewise. On that note, she's Elise. He's Gabe. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace. <laughs>